0: I see him in my dreams sometimes, standing in front of his blazing kiln like a long shard of obsidian, drinking in the flames. Gareth, my father. My memory of him has been bent and colored in so many ways, refracted like the light through his stained glass creations. The Inquisitor took him from me as well. If he's still out there, and I pray to all the gods he is, I will find him. I will piece together our shattered past to make a window to the future. But first, I've got work to do. From Elderblade Productions, this is Echoes of x season Season 2, Episode 3, The Mirror. Comes becomes a roiling wave. The wave condenses into a kettle on a stove, then dissipates into a whispered lullaby. Hammers on nails interrupt the song, then maniacal laughter, pigs at slaughter, earthquakes. Sounds upon sounds, so fast they defy comprehension. Louder and louder they grow, building to a screech until I fell once more through the opening of light out of the gate and into the ebon mist. I gathered my bearings, taking in the familiar sight of the mist's ghostly, glowing cedar trees. A spicy, acrid stench greeted me. The gate which led to Mira rested on a cliffside, somewhat isolated from the graveyard of tombstone-like gate doors. The cliff overlooked an endless sea of waning light. From deep within the chasm of light, I could just make out a scattering of swirling black shadows, each the size of a pinprick, dancing aimlessly. Cravers, a low, sullen voice behind me said. Beasts created by the mist itself. They attack intruders to the plain, feed off them. I turned and saw Isolde. She appeared masculine today, and more human than I'd seen in some time. She looked like a prince, black hair in a perfect coif, clean, chiseled features, a fine silk doublet of brown and red. Only her large, pitch-black eyes revealed her otherworldly nature. She was with another man. They sat opposite each other in armchairs, playing a game of brigandstone. I could not see the man's face, save for a wavy blur of shadows. He was wearing a ruffled shirt, tailored trousers, and cuffed boots. I watched him move a gloved hand over the game board, sliding a conical wooden piece over towards a golden ball in the center. Isolde rose from her seat. We'll adjourn for now, she said to her game partner. Report back when you have something on the Arborvale case. The man rose and bowed, then made for the miss gates. Suddenly... Isold grabbed the man's hand to stop him. She pulled him close and whispered something in his ear. The man's blurred face bowed, then nodded. I noticed Isold's hand lingered in his. Isold let the man go, and he took his leave. She looked at me, arms open, expectant. Well? I hope I didn't intrude, I said. It's no concern of yours. We were discussing another case. Indeed, I smirked, gesturing to the view. No better place to do so, if you ask me. Quite an ambiance. Sensing my tone, Isolde tilted her head at me. Shocking as it may seem, there is more to my existence than babysitting you, Von Der. I raised my hands up, releasing the matter. Isolde gestured to the Brigganstone game. Care to play?" All due respect, is old. there is little time. Things did not go as planned. So I gathered. Word is already spreading in the region about the events at Songwake Manor. Still, when the world hastens, sometimes we must slow ourselves to make sense of it. Again, she gestured at the game. Sighing, I sat down with her, with a flick of her wrist. The pieces reset themselves. The golden ball, or stone, sat in the center of a circular board with a series of checkered rings. Isolde and I each had ten brigands, conical pieces of different colors, two for each color of square on the board. They were lined up on the outermost ring, each side's pieces taking up half the squares. Isolde went first, moving a red brigand inward toward the second ring. Red Two Block," she said. "Start from the beginning, Vondair, at the Oratia." I told her everything. From Widow's Ridge to the Alzarian ruins, to Lady Songwake's intelligence about an impending Kik-Tay war, to Dinarthy and the fright that possessed him. Finally, I described Stormdreamer's betrayal and the return of the Miraculous Four, including Tosca. By the time I had finished, Isolde's brigands were already halfway to the stone, while I had lost half of mine to her gambits. I was never good at this game, I thought. Tasca returns, Isolde breathed. Her black eyes watched the board instead of me. I felt crushed by the weight of her words. I trust you know what this means, Von Der. I nodded. Of course. You don't have to kill her, but Exeaser is not safe with her in it. Or anyone who consorts with frights. She moved a white brigand to the innermost circle. White five flip. Cringing at the move, I picked up my brigand that was closest to the stone and moved it back to the first ring. Wanting revenge, I moved a blue piece inward. Blue four freeze, I said. You're sure the Ebon Mist can hold her if she's apprehended? I am certain. She'll spend the rest of her days right here, where she can do no further harm to frights or mortals. She'll be comfortable. Her cell will be like your quarters. Anything she can imagine can be made manifest, within reason. Is this to be Denarthi's fate as well? Those deep black orbs of hers flickered to meet my eyes. Should it not? I mean to say, I paused, selecting my words like a duelist choosing his sword. If all is as it seems, Dinarthy is a victim of affright. He deserves to be free, not banished to the shadows. Hmm. Isolde placed a thoughtful finger on one of her brigands. She moved it inward. I see your battle with Kuga-gra-konak hasn't damaged your empathy. My battle with Ananias, you mean. But did the Urso not play a part in his own suffering? Did he nonetheless advance the cause of a harmful agent? Donarthi is different, I said sternly. I knew not where my confidence came from. I had no concrete evidence to back up my claim. I just had the look of his tearful, mangled face seared into my mind. Evading Isolde's eyes, I looked down at the board and moved a piece inward. Isolde's brigands were nearly to the stone. I decided to block her path by forming my brigands into a barricade around it. Red 5 Block. Not everyone bonds with a fright willingly or even knowingly. Just as no one willingly contracts the folly, but that doesn't stop them from being a contagion to everyone around them. Isolde moved another piece on the board. When an illness cannot be cured, it must be cut down to prevent it from spreading. You assume there is no cure. I moved another brigand into my barricade. Blue 5 block. What if I can save Dinarthi, destroy the fright inside him like I did with Kuga? He will still be a threat, Isolde shook her head and sighed. You think me so heartless, Der. Once a soul has been bound to a fright, they become more susceptible to future influence. They are compromised, and frights everywhere can sense it. D'Narthi Kuga, your precious Tosca, all of them have tainted souls. As you say, not every contract is mutual. Would you rather they roam the world like wounded animals, ripe for the pouncing? With that, Isolde moved another piece. I had been so caught up with our debate, I failed to notice she had not been calling out gambits. She's saving them up, I thought. Then I noticed her brigands had all lined up directly facing my own. A difficult thing to pull off, had I been paying attention. Blue-white-red flip, she said with a smirk. I grimaced, moving all of my brigands back to the outermost ring. Isolde's pieces now completely encircled the stone. The game was hers. I sat back. (laughs) Well played. Give it a few eons, you'll catch up, Isolde teased. She rose from her seat, waving her hand over her chair and the game board. Both evaporated into smoke. I stood up, and my chair vanished behind me as well. Isolde walked to the edge of the cliff, overlooking the endless gray light. I followed her my eyes trailing to the cloud of frenzied cravers on the horizon. "'So,' Isolde said, "'the Miraculous Four have stolen Donarthi, along with the scrolls. "'Yes, but before they could leave, I hit Tosca with my raven dust pouch.' Isolde paused, creasing her brow. "'A tracer. Very clever.' More of an act of desperation, I thought. You think Quinn's up to the task? Doubtless, though I imagine it will take some time. If the raven dust has dispersed, its aura will not be as easy to locate. Tosca may also suspect what you've done, and do away with the clothing. Still, it's better than nothing. Isolde waved her hands in front of her a projection of shadows formed against the backdrop of gray light, taking the form of a Kiktay figure. I recognized her from the scrolls, the blades lining her wings, the feather plumes lining her brow, the three blood-red dots on her left forefinger. Star sired. In the meantime, I would know more about this one, old whispered. Star-Sired is something of a ghost story, known by many to be an influential figure in Azen-Ra, yet little is known about her. Most of her dealings take place in locked rooms with a handful of people. Those who speak with her are silent as the grave. Likely that's where they're headed if they speak out, I wondered out loud. Someone of such renown will be difficult to get close to without rousing suspicion. We may yet have an opening," Isolde remarked. She flicked her wrist, and another shadow projection appeared next to the one of Starsired. It was a picture of a sprawling metropolis, crowning a mesa amidst a snow-capped mountain range. New Alzar," I said, arching my brow. Aiden's holy city," Isolde agreed. A place that calls itself home to all races of Exesar. Built with recovered Alzarian technology. So remote, many people still think it a legend. For decades, new Alzar has preferred to stay removed from the conflicts below its mountain peaks. However, our agents have informed me that they have begun to seek treaties with foreign powers. There will be a summit this week with dignitaries from all across Exesar. It is unknown what will be discussed, but rumor has it Emperor Teshalan himself will make an appearance. And Star Sired will likely join him as protection, I concluded. It is probable, especially if the Kikte are interested in war, as Queen Songwake says. I can only imagine what Alzerian technology is locked away inside that city. Still, even if I were to go there, the security will be considerable. How will I get close to her? For Claude Van Der, it will be impossible. So don't go as him. Pardon? Go and talk to Quinn about it. She's been working on some things. When you're ready... Take the Mist Gate to New Alzar, and gather what information you can on our new friend. We'll inform you when we have a lead on Tosca and her miraculous friends. Understood. I bowed to Isolde, and began to take my leave. Oh, and vondair Isolde called out. I checked in on your little friend. I turned back to her. You mean, Leona? She's taken ill. Nothing serious, just a low fever. It can be difficult to adjust to living in the mist, as you know. Hard on the constitution, especially for the young. Otherwise, they are doing well. Let me know if I can provide anything for them. I smiled, unsure of what to say. Isolde read my expression and laughed softly. She turned away from me, her form beginning to dissipate into a cloud of smoke. "'I told you, Van Der, she said as she vanished. "'Monsters can have hearts, too.'" Plumes of red smoke greeted me at the door of Quinn's laboratory. Coughing, I batted the smoke away, burying my face in my shirt. It smelled strangely of cinnamon. Come in, Quinn hollered from somewhere. Everything's fine. Well, everything's on fire, but it's all fine. I pushed through the smoke. I could just make out Quinn's silhouette as she stamped out a blaze on one of her workbenches. Above me, I saw Quinn's fleet of paper lantern drones swooping to her aid. They flipped themselves upside down, and each of them popped out a small nozzle from their center modules. Water spewed out of them, dousing the fire. Other than the parts Quinn was trying to burn down, her laboratory looked the same as it always had. A bronze wonderland, filled with trinkets and automatons, things that gurgled and blipped and whizzed. In the loft upstairs, I couldn't help but notice a familiar face. Well... Not that he had a face, per se. It was Toast, Quinn's orb friend. He looked quite different these days. The orb now spun around inside a larger, circular drone with three different sets of mechanical arms. The arms were currently playing three different musical instruments. A violin, a lyre, and a percussion set. In a rousing jingle. Quinn sighed taking in the blackened wasteland of her workbench. She brushed away her long shock of matted red hair, lifting her goggles off to reveal a jet-black ring of soot outlining her eyes. Her normal eye looked red and tired, while her brass eye jerked back and forth restlessly. Grunting, she tore off her black rubber gloves and slithered out of her lab coat, revealing her standard tunic and overalls look. Well, there's two days' work gone to waste, Quinn sighed, quitting the workbench and making a beeline for the loft. Toast, I'm in a mood. Play something sad. Toast. What do you mean I can't control your art? I literally control everything you do. Is this a bad time, Quinn? I asked delicately, trailing her from afar. No, it's a wonderful time. Quinn said as she reached the loft. I mean, seeing as my dragonfire-retardant evening wear is a bust, my fashion career is basically over, so I guess I have time for you. Is... is there a high demand for that? More than you can imagine, Vondair. Quinn went to a sturdy chest, the cracks of which glowed with a soft, pulsing light. She opened it, an icy fog curled out into the air. She reached inside and took out a bottle. As Toast prepared to play his next song, Quinn used the crevice of his new body to pop open the bottle's cap. She flopped onto a small couch next to Toast and took a long swig from the bottle. So, what can I do for you? I'm to go to New Ulzar. And speaking of fashion, Old thinks I'm in need of a makeover. At this, Quinn sat up and met my eyes. The edges of her smallish mouth twitched upward in disbelief. So she's finally going to let me try it. Try what? Quinn hopped off the couch and set the bottle down. Reaching over to Toast, she palmed the orb in her hand and twisted it. Toast popped out of his mechanical body. The construct's arms went limp, and the orb floated up by Quinn's head. She descended the staircase her eyes scanning the various shelves and tables for something. A while ago, I was toying with ways to localize the Ebon Mist's cloaking powers. Disguise kits are all well and good, but sometimes you need to be someone else, not just look like it. In her heyday, Isolde could imbue her agents with the power to change their appearance at will, but nowadays, well, not so much. Quinn pulled up a ladder and climbed to the top of a tall shelf. There was an old box at the top, covered in dust. Groaning from the strain, Quinn hefted it off the shelf and passed it down to me. Take this, would you? I did so, and set it down on the floor. Quinn came down and started rummaging through the box. Eventually she gasped in recognition and pulled out what I presumed she'd been looking for. It was a small, oval mirror. The glass was tinted deep purple, and was framed with black leather, possibly to enhance one's grip. At first glance, I did not notice anything out of the ordinary. It certainly did its job as a mirror, reflecting Quinn's face well enough, though the image was obscured by the dark tint. As Quinn turned it about in her hands, however, I noted that there was no glare from the paper lanterns above. I call it False Face, Quinn said. It's made from the same material as Focus Gems. The silver backing has a very fine enchantment written in Mist Energy. When used properly, it will allow the user to borrow the appearance of whoever looks into it. Unfortunately, it's got a few... bugs. You know, I really hate it when you say that. Quinn cleared her throat, then handed the False Face to me. You've got to promise me you won't freak out, okay? I took the mirror carefully and nodded. Quinn stood up and gestured for me to do the same. She pointed at herself. Face the mirror at me and keep my face in your mind. I did so. Quinn stared into the mirror. I felt the glass begin to hum with a vibration. Then my vision became hazy as I felt a tingling, swirling sensation around my face. I reached up to touch my face, but by then it felt normal again. I turned the mirror around and looked at myself. But instead, all I saw was Quinn. I gasped, marveling at the uncanniness of it. This went so far beyond a simple disguise. Every detail had been copied, her freckles, the overworked bags under her eyes. Even the tiny chip on her front tooth, something that took me months to notice, had been painted onto me. I turned the mirror to the rest of me and saw that my body had changed, too. It had her height, her clothes. Quinn, I started to say, then halted in shock at the sound of Quinn's voice coming out of my mouth. I chuckled. "'Quinn! This is fantastic! I can't believe you've kept it a secret, all this!' I looked up at Quinn, and nearly dropped the mirror from fright. Where Quinn had once stood, there was now a homunculus of flesh. Two doll-like eyes, round-like buttons and completely white, stared back at me. Three slits marked the face underneath the eyes, two for nostrils and one for the mouth. The rest of the body was completely smooth and featureless, like a fresh mound of pink clay. It groaned numbly as it stumbled about, flailing its raw, writhing limbs. I backed away, panicked, unsure of what to do. A moment later, I felt the same tingling sensation wash over my face. My vision blurred again, and when it returned, Quinn was standing before me once more, completely restored. She stumbled back, shaking, checking her face and body wildly. Oh, thank Aiden, she cried. It's been so long, I forgot how it actually worked. What in the pit was that, Quinn? I shouted, noticing I had my own voice. I checked myself in the mirror, and found my own form restored as well. Right, so, the false face borrows people's forms. Literally. As in, they're left with no form of their own. It doesn't hurt, per se, but it can be kind of... unsettling. You're telling me. Secondly, the illusion only works as long as the person is actually looking into the mirror. If they look away, the user reverts back to their true form in seconds, as you've seen. So if I want to use it on someone, I've got to force them to keep looking at it? And while they do, they'll be looking at their own face turned into a blank slimy doll. I grimaced at the device. Maybe I should stick with my disguise kit. Oh, don't be so quick to judge. You just need to face the mirror in the person's direction. They could be asleep even. They wouldn't even know it was happening. I squinted at Quinn. I'm worried about you, Quinn. You're a little too excited over this face stealing mirror. Quinn threw up her hands in mock surrender. Hey, it's fine. I don't care. You want to use spirit gum and eyeliner to sneak around the most advanced city in Exeaser? Be my guest. Toast. I am not displacing my anger from my failed dress experiment onto von Der, Toast. Why would you even suggest that? Okay, Quinn. Okay, I said, pocketing the mirror. I'll take it just in case. All right. Satisfied. Quinn took a deep breath. "'You're welcome,' she said pleasantly. "'Now, is there anything else you might need? "'I can't imagine you're going to New Alzar just to play dress-up.' "'I told Quinn all about the incident in Mira, "'and that I was to infiltrate the Summit Gala at New Alzar "'and gather intelligence on the Silver Sister known as Star-Sired. "'Quinn's head sunk low as I spoke, "'and she withdrew into contemplation when I finished.' My heart sunk with her. I knew it was out of concern for my safety that she'd grown quiet. Ever since Bladefang Mountain, Quinn's cavalier attitude seemed to waver whenever I spoke of my assignments. I knew she'd seen agents die in the field before, but it seemed as though she regarded me differently now. Perhaps because of the role she'd played in my last mission, if she hadn't helped me escape the mist, I wouldn't have nearly died. My pact with Azold would never have been broken. And Zara, Nyx, and Leona... Quinn sucked in a quick breath and clapped her hands. Got it, she declared. Kikte warrior priestess flies, has knife wings, plus lots more highly trained Kikte defending their emperor from death, plus... New Alzarian guards armed with old Alzarian tech. She rubbed her temples and sauntered away from me. You're really going to want to use that mirror, Vondare. Fine. But just in case I want to use something a bit less creepy... Quinn began rummaging purposefully through a pile of half-finished projects on one of her workbenches. Dozens of parts, tools, and knickknacks spilled onto the ground in a cacophonous racket. Eventually, she stopped at a particular item. She blew on it, tapped it a few times. I heard a whirring, chittering sound coming from the device. Quinn turned around and brought the device to me. In her hands were a pair of gloves. Embedded in the knuckles were small, mechanical barrels, which retracted when she tapped on the back of the glove's hand. She put one on and opened her palm. The fingertips were coated in copper. When she tapped the fingertips together, they produced a sudden pop of electricity. She closed her fist and aimed at a nearby concrete wall away from us. She squeezed her hand, and a tiny black dart shot out with explosive force. The dart struck the wall, embedding itself in the concrete. The darts contain demon's teeth extract, Quinn explained. It's a more potent form than the Roots Everwake was using. Anyone hit with one of those will be out in seconds, and should stay down for a couple hours. There's enough space in the wrist canister for about four shots per hand. In addition, I laced the fingertips with copper and rigged it to a small clockwork generator. It's not much, but it might be able to stun a person, or even a machine, long enough for you to get away. I tried on the other glove. It was a little big, but it fit well enough. I practiced with it. The darts shot out with barely any noise or kickback. The electric shock, however, stunned my own hand when it went off. Seething, I pulled the glove off and shook my hand to wake it up. (sighs) Ah! Well, at least it works. Claude Van Der's seal of approval, Quinn mocked. Of course you'll still have the phantom ring. And I'll whip up a fresh batch of raven dust, since you've wasted your supply on schoolyard pranks. I mean, really, Der, you threw it at Tosca? I thought maybe it could be used to trace her. Mm-hmm. How about in the future you let me decide how my own equipment should be used, eh, der? I promise, Quinn, I said with a wink. It'll never happen again. My new effects in hand, I made for the door. I'd better go pack my things. Thanks again, Quinn. Yeah, well, it's all in a day's work, Quinn said dramatically. Seriously, though. Be careful, Von Dare. They're not playing around in New Alls are, Neither am I, I called back. I stopped at the workbench with Quinn's blackened dress. I ran a hand across it thoughtfully. I turned back to Quinn. You know, maybe there's something in New Alzar that will help with this. Fabrics, special dyes. If I have time, I can try to shop around. Quinn blinked, then laughed. Thanks, Fondaire, but it's fine. I've got 52 other projects that are probably more important anyway. Well, all the same, don't give up on it. Alzar wasn't built in a day, you know. Quinn smiled back at me. Well, technically, Alzar sunk into the Sundered Strait, but I take your meaning. I'll give it another go sometime. Glad to hear it, I said. And with that, I left Quinn's laboratory, feeling ever more the weight of my actions, the importance of my coming tasks. Quinn now joined the growing list of people affected by my choices. I was determined to set things right, for all their sakes. New Alls are called, and I was ready to answer. Echoes of x Caesar is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound effects courtesy of GarageBand and Sword Coast Soundscapes on YouTube. Link in the description. For questions or comments, email us at echosofxaser at gmail.com.